logistics, okay? Freaking logistics, man. Ready to talk logistics? But how? It can't be done. We should probably figure out some logistics. Carriers and, and shipping and delivery seems to to take a lower priority sometimes within the, the whole experience from a, a retailer standpoint. And it needs to be on the same level as the, you know, the front end experience in my opinion. That's Nate Skyver, founder of LPF Spin Management. LPF offers a shipper's perspective on the parcel consulting space. Prior to starting his consulting business, Nate held transportation, management, and fulfillment roles at Abercrombie & Fitch for 12 years followed by logistics roles at Stella and Dot Family Brands. Now, through LPS Spin Management, Nate focuses on leveling the playing field so that e-commerce brands can compete in today's fast shipping environment. On today's episode, Nate discusses the importance of locking down your company's shipping strategy, why investing in the delivery experience is so crucial, what kind of collaborations he sees vital in the future, and more. I really enjoyed this conversation with Nate and really think you will too. But first, a brief word from our sponsor. This podcast is powered by the team at Stored. Turn your supply chain into a competitive advantage. Go to Stored.com to learn more. I'm your host, Alex Kent, Director of Sales at Stored, and this is Supply Chain Therapy. Hello, and welcome to How to Unfuck Your Supply Chain. I'm your host, Alex Kent from Stored. Here today with Nate Skyver, founder of LPF Spin Management. Nate, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you coming on. How are you? I'm doing well, Alex. I appreciate uh, you having me on. Yeah, of course. Well, we've been following your content for a while now, and I'm sure some of the listeners have. But, you know, tell me a, a little bit about your current role. What is LPF Spin Management doing and how do you operate today? Well, I am the founder of LPF Spin Management, which is another way of saying that I'm an independent consultant and a, and a solopreneur. So I help retailers ship smarter and reduce their shipping costs. There's a variety of ways that I help them do that, but I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more. Well, let's dive right into it. What is some of that e-commerce shipping strategy that you guys, that you work on with some of the retailers? Well, I think from a retailer standpoint, this sounds really obvious, but one of the things first and foremost is to actually have a strategy. And I say that because, you know, there's still a lot of companies that maybe because of other priorities or they just don't have the experience that they haven't really defined what that strategy is as far as their options with their customers. and then not really being specific about the carriers and the services that they have lined up with those customer shipping options. And so I think, you know, really, whether it's something that's focused around free shipping or fast delivery, because not too many retailers can do both of those at the same time, you know, I work with clients to make sure that it's clear to the customer, you know, having, say, three to four shipping options, which best align to whatever a particular retailer's, you know, brand or product is and what the customer is expecting, I think that's pretty much table stakes for the customer experience from a, a delivery standpoint. And that should really start during browsing. So on the product display page, all the way through delivery. Right. And then the transportation side, not maybe as interesting, I think, to some, but that's where whatever that expectation is set. So if it's two-day delivery, if it's you know free shipping, but there's a estimated delivery date with it, then making sure that those carriers and services are sourced specifically to provide that reliable experience. So I think that's really the, the focus on the strategy itself. So it, it varies quite a bit, but kind of those are the basics. And talk a little to me about, you know, how you came up with this idea of, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into consulting, be a, a solopreneur, like you said, and a little bit of the background that 
sort of, I, I imagine that it, it kind of drove this strategy that you, you work with with your clients. Absolutely. And it was based on experience from the past 15 years now. And a lot of that was on, it was on the retailer side, working with large retailers. And that's where I began learning about Parcel. I had to start from scratch and help to, to build a program with one of the retailers I worked for. And then along the way, in addition to, to Parcel, which is what I was focused on, you know, I did have some e-commerce experience that stuck with me because delivery, certainly the last few years, even before that, have really, uh, delivery has really become a much greater part of the, the experience. And so I think both of those, parcel and, and shipping and package delivery combined with e-commerce, that's something that has been a part of my, my career. Now, I just you know, so happened a long time ago to work with a consultant who actually back then, many years ago, did a lot of what I do today. So I had a, you know, a front seat to a, a pretty large contract negotiation project and I learned everything I possibly could. And so that's when I knew I wanted to consult. I want to say 10 or 11 years later is when I finally pulled the trigger. How much different is it being on the, on the other side and, and consulting versus you know, going in and, and actually contracting on behalf of an, an organization? Well, it's not the first 17 years of my career weren't fun, but this is a lot more fun. <laughs> you know, I, I get to, to work with several different companies, sometimes at once, you know, multiple at the same time. And it's just, it's different experiences that, you know, I get to learn about different companies, help to customize solutions, work with a client to design a solution and implement it. And it's not that you can't do that when you're you know, working for a retailer, but there are certain constraints. I mean, it's, focused on just serving the needs of that one retailer. And there's certain things that, that come up working for large organizations, which I did, to where you don't have the same flexibility. So that's one of the things that I've, I really enjoyed is, is the flexibility and freedom to choose who I work with and be able to provide value in a different way and kind of on my own terms. Yeah, well, touch on that a little bit, because how are you measuring your own success? And how are you measuring the success of those retailers that you're working with today? It varies quite a bit. I guess one common measure of success, depending on the situation, usually has to do with an expense reduction around shipping. It doesn't always have to be that way. But one of the, the areas that I focus on with, with some clients on the retail side is, say, a parcel sourcing project where you know, there's you know, multiple carriers involved and you're helping them to bid the business and, and provide information to them to make the right decisions. And so a lot of times that is a, it's based on very specific pricing targets with carriers, which then might end up producing a, an expense reduction. So that's pretty straightforward. It's, uh, I'll say easy to, to measure from a cost saving standpoint, but there's other things too. They're more qualitative, like sourcing the right carriers and services that provide other types of you know, value. Uh, whether it's operational flexibility uh, through like, additional capacity, or maybe if, it, if it's a carrier that fits a specific need or niche, whether that's you know regional carrier or maybe more reliable delivery, uh, because there, as I think the last couple of years has proven that there's a lot of fluctuation in carrier capacity and their ability to deliver reliably, and so that part of it too, the qualitative piece of of the, the service is something that is really a measurement, I think, that a lot of my clients value too. 
from a consumer side, right? Obviously, we are worried about two-day shipping and you know how quickly can we get it? We all live in this Amazon world. Well, what are the retailers measuring their success on? What metrics are they caring most about? Yeah, I think you know the, the basics. Of course, it's going to be some balance of cost and service. Uh, you know, whether it's on-time delivery or how it's measured. So, cost I think is pretty straightforward. I mean, it, it's you know cost per package, and then there's some other ways to measure that, which I can jump into. But I think one thing that's really important on the the customer experience side is for retailers to be able to measure customer promise on time delivery. And many of the larger ones do, for sure. But that is, you know, taking that customer promise. So that date that is, usually it's that minimum, I would say, shown in checkout. When a customer is getting ready to check out, you know, this is the estimated delivery date. At the worst, I guess it's it's after checkout and it's provided in a maybe a ship confirmation email. But whatever that date is, is being able to measure you know, not just the on-time percentage, so the the number or the percentage of packages that or orders that deliver by that date, but even the variance to it. So you know, early deliver, delivery isn't necessarily good, and so it's measuring the the impact of you know certainly late deliveries. I think that's pretty obvious that that's a poor experience. But even early, are there patterns in customer service calls or or contacts rather that can surface with both early and late? And then from an early standpoint, kind of coming back to the the transportation part of it is if you're delivering a lot of your packages early, that's an opportunity to do something different. So either you can shorten the promise date to where it's more attractive to a customer, maybe improve conversion, or you can go the other way. And since you're delivering early, you can more optimize the transit time for some cares and services, and maybe reduce your expense. Yeah, I, I look at it as early delivery. I've never really thought about it, but it's almost like a, a surprise and delight. You know, you kind of talk about that a little bit. But at the same time, if I was ordering something that I would, I wanted to know exactly when it was going to be there and it delivered early, depending on where I live and, and who I am, I may or may not want that, right? And that's an interesting point. I've never really thought about early performance and early delivery before. So next, up, I want to get into our next segment, all about challenges. Houston, we have a problem. I think I talk about this every episode, but supply chain's been in the news. There's challenges all over the place. They're probably and likely not going anywhere. We're going to continue to see labor shortages. We're going to continue to see whether it be nearshoring or manufacturing delays or, or port delays. You know, what are three individual challenges that, that your clients are facing? I'm sure it relates to capacity and, you know, certainly around Q4, which is peak season in e-commerce. But kind of talk about that and, and we'll, we'll talk about how we're facing that and, and addressing those challenges too. Some of the, the basic ones, you know, right now, shipping expense. And that's, and it's not new. That's been one that really from a parcel shipping standpoint, it's always a, a part of what you know, my clients are concerned with. It isn't always that they have to reduce expense as their first priority, but it's usually part of what they're challenged with. And that's been, I guess, building over the last two years with you know, the environment. You mentioned capacity, right? So for all of 2020, parcel capacity was really, really constrained. Last year, not as much, but still to an extent. And I think that's starting to, to level out. But the pricing, especially with, let's say, FedEx and UPS and maybe some other carriers, isn't certainly not going down. 
And so that's one, I think, top of mind challenge that you know, I work with clients on. Again, it's, it's part of the solution. It's not the entire solution, usually. I think you know, another challenge as well is with all of the broad-based supply chain issues occurring is that specific to, to shipping, then you know, I find a, a lot of clients and even some of my retail contacts, one of the challenges they face is they don't have the time and resources to actually work through some of the challenges specific to shipping. And so, so then it becomes a, a more of a um, competing priorities. And I think because of you know, the complexity at times of parcel shipping and negotiating the contracts and you know, carrier diversification, they're just not able to, to make it a priority. And then I think that the last thing that kind of goes with that is at times a lack of just internal expertise specifically on parcel and carriers and contracts and the services. That's something that uh, not, not everybody spends 15 years doing you know, what I do or, or focused on, on parcel. And I've had countless conversations with whether it's clients or just some of my contacts in, in retail who they're they're trying to to hire talent that has that experience. And I think that's one of the the themes, you know, one of the, the main issues that keeps arising is, is that experience isn't readily available usually. You know, it's interesting because we talk a lot at Stored at least about the fulfillment experience and, and inside the four walls of the of the facility. And you're, you know, somewhat the last touch point before you that product goes to that parcel carrier. And, you know, they're in charge of the delivery, but you're in charge of the unboxing experience inside the fulfillment center. So it's certainly a, an aspect that is challenging to approach. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of expertise to be able to not only negotiate that, but understand what the parcel carriers are and, and when they make changes uh, to contracts or changes to rates or you know, there was, uh, I think, what was it last year? There was, it was either FedEx or UPS went from calling it a peak surcharge to a demand surcharge. And, you know, just the, the variance between that. Yeah, that was, that was UPS. That was UPS. Yeah. You got to love yeah, that. Yeah. The, the, uh, oh, yeah. the language that they're using. Oh, it's no longer peak. It's just we have more demand. You're saying the same thing. Anyway. Exactly. Yes. Good stuff. So yeah. on that note, you know, to the experts in the e-commerce you know, logistics leaders, best advice or, or best practice when negotiating parcel, dealing with parcel carriers and, and finding, you know, the best, whether it be, it's always three things, right? It's price, quality, or service and finding one of those. So. so I think with that, this might sound kind of contradicting what I was just talking about around expense, but given the, the environment we've been in from a pricing standpoint to where it's very much a, a carrier's market, and that could change over time, but it's it's not changing next week. I think investing in delivery experience. So even as part of, you know, if it's sourcing carriers or, or, or services, negotiating contracts as part of that process, is actually having the delivery experience is a very specific part of those objectives. And because I, I find that you know, there's still plenty of retailers, I think, that you know, they, they recognize that the speed of delivery or the customer delivery experience is important. And there's a lot of you know, talk about you know, customer expectations for delivery keep increasing, but not all of those same retailers are taking really intentional action 
to invest in the delivery experience. So specifically, you know, it doesn't have to be fast delivery, you know, two-day or next-day delivery for all customers or anything close to it. But I think you know, retailers first defining what the right delivery experience is that they want to provide. Again, in my opinion, that experience starts when a customer is browsing you know, through, through delivery and defining what that is and then laying out the plan to actually invest in people and experience or, or expertise, the technology, and then fulfillment delivery capabilities. It's not quite that simple, but you've got to define that plan to be able to execute on it. I don't think a lot of retailers do that. Maybe it's because of competing priorities or, or whatnot, but it's uh, just not as intentional maybe as it should be. So I think you know, intentional investment in the delivery experience to me is one of the kind of missed opportunities right now I see with with some retailers. Yeah, and I think you know to that point, it, it's e-commerce is is still new, right? I mean, it, it hasn't been around that long, and some brands don't know how to deal with it. They just like you're saying, they they don't know how to approach it, and they'll put it on the operations or the supply chain team to go figure out. And in reality, it should be the the marketing team coming together with the sales team, the sales team coming together with the supply chain and operations team, and all meeting in the middle and saying. If our our goal is to to scale this brand up and to you know continue our growth or maintain our growth and continue providing customers with great products, we all need to come together and talk about our e-commerce strategy and talk about just what you said from browsing all the way to that delivery and, and what we want to do and how we want that to impact our business overall. Right? Yeah, I mean it's you know, well said. I think the shipping. So you know a fair part of what I focus on with with clients on the carriers and the services and sourcing that expenses is a part of that. But I think that part of it, you know, carriers and, and shipping and delivery seems to take a lower priority sometimes within the, the whole experience from a, a retailer standpoint. And it needs to be kind of on the same level as the first, you know, the front end experience, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's awesome. Good stuff. And, uh, and thanks for the advice there. So, Moving on to our next segment, the venting couch. So talk, vent, come on, vent, go ahead, vent. I just needed to vent. Where'd you vent? Vent your frustrations. We all have had traumatic experiences when it comes to logistics, but it doesn't have to be that way. If you're ready to heal your relationship with your supply chain, check out store.com to learn more. Any stories you want to vent about? I've got a few because it's been 20 years. And so... See if if this one uh, is going to make the the cut here. So many years ago, I won't say how many, but a very long time ago. So I, I spent I'll just say I can I spent eleven years at Abercrombie and Fitch, and fantastic experience. Hold them in high regard, and, you know, especially their their supply chain team. But you know, working in in fashion retail, there's certain things you have to do sometimes where you accommodate things that are requested from executives, and so. Uh, and this is not just fashion retail. I know it's it's pretty much everywhere. But CEO for Abercrombie and Fitch was Mike Jeffries a long time ago, and uh, he was absolutely just fanatic about the stores, the store presentation. Everything just had to be precise and 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 perfect. And so, in supply chain and in transportation, then anytime he would visit a store, there was a scramble of things that had to be done before he would visit the store. I mean, it was a, a false, you know, you had to make it look better than it, it ever did. And so one of those those times was uh, Abercrombie was opening a flagship store in Milan. 
and there was denim, there were jeans, they were supposed to be there for the CEO's visit. They weren't there. They were being produced somewhere in South America. I forget the, the country. And so I get the task of, of figuring out how to get these there in less than a day. And uh, couldn't quite do it. My only option that I provided was chartering an aircraft. And, uh, and so that they didn't like the price tag of that one. <laughs> for, for, hold on, for a couple of cases of jeans, right? Yes. I, I want to say we're talking about yeah. 200 units, oh, wow. something like that. Okay. All right. And so <laughs> that didn't go over very well, but I had a, a call from a peer in, in another, I think a merchandising department. And he said, you're going to have to explain this to Mike. And, uh, you know, I'm looking around like somebody else can do that probably. I don't think I need to. <laughs> and uh, so I you know, panicked a little bit there for a few minutes. Ended up I didn't have to because uh, somebody else decided to, to solve that problem. And they actually just sent an associate from the vendor from wherever it was in South America on a flight to London and then Milan with carry-on and check luggage of 200 units of denim. And so instead of chartering an aircraft, uh, I was uh, tasked with tracking this associate, basically, his flight. Yeah. So I was providing updates to executives on, and I, don't, I wouldn't share it anyway, I don't recall his name, but this associate's you know, flight status of where he was and yep. uh, he was going to be arriving in London and meeting our uh, customs broker to make sure everything was all cleared and then heading on to Milan. Oh man. So that's how I got to spend the better part of a couple of days at Abercrombie a long time ago. I wasn't even thinking about clearing customs with the, the carry-on luggage. I was, I was more so thinking like, how do you get, what happens if the airline carrier loses the luggage? Exactly. Then you're really screwed. But yeah, you got to get through customs as well. That's a good one. We live in the supply chain logistics world. It happens every day. The unexpected happens. You can wake up and say, oh, beautiful day. Everything's going to go great. Who knows what happens next? Moving on to the, the next segment, um, back to the future. You recently posted on LinkedIn, and I'll, I'll read this verbatim just because I don't want to misquote you, but service providers sharing networks and assets, retailers collaborating with service providers, retailers sharing e-commerce and logistics resources, all connected through technology. Those who embrace it will prosper. Those who don't will suffer. What do you mean by this? Can you, can you expand on this a little bit more and, and let's talk about what it means? Sure. I think I'll start with I guess retailers and retailers collaborate, collaborating with other retailers to share resources, whether that's you know, fulfillment, you know, delivery, package sortation. It's something that isn't openly done often. And there's you know, good reason. I mean, from a, you know, a competitive standpoint, you know, sharing information, things like that. But it's, it's been top of mind recently, you know, partially because part of the concept, I was, I'll mention it that, you know, American Eagle is pushing right now with, they're, um, I think they're calling it quiet platform now, but Airterra, you know, quiet fulfillment uh, service offering. And it doesn't have to be that, you know, their specific solution, but just the concept of collaboration and resource sharing between retailers. Again, if, if the competitive considerations aside or, or they're comfortable with it, it's got to be better than in many cases, just a one to one, you know, a retailer going to 
a service provider, whether it's a FedEx or UPS and in, in kind of in my world or others, um, because you're, you're constrained when you do that. Uh, you don't have the same flexibility. Uh, you definitely don't have leverage in some cases. And so that's kind of what I was, I'll say alluding to, but speaking to there is I, I'm interested in the concept. I, I'm interested to see kind of where it goes and not just the American Eagle part, but just that whole kind of broader concept of retailers collaborating. So I think there's opportunities there, especially on the delivery side. But there's you know, another aspect to it too. And from a service provider you know, perspective, I mean, I think we're you know, seeing, uh, again, in delivery, I'll stick with that. A lot of the partnerships or providers that are entering the market that are focused on, if you want to say, um, you know, resource you know, delivery orchestration with you know, multiple kind of groups, whether it's first, middle, and last mile, and, and having a solution around that. So there's collaboration there. But I think an example that I was kind of how I ended that, you know, those, those who do it will, will prosper and those who won't will uh, get left behind. Maybe something like that. We'll suffer. suffer. Thank you. Uh, no, it was it was suffer, which I love because that's just very direct. Not even left behind. You're gonna suffer. <laughs> UPS and FedEx. There's a pretty stark contrast right now, at least, regarding collaboration. And UPS, you know, they've partnered with several several platforms, Shopify, others, you know, some of the multi carrier, to really help to enable part of their digital access programs. So it's focused on small business. And that's really a resource to leverage to acquire customers. And they've done that really well. They've continued to partner with the USPS as a delivery partner where it makes sense. And this is debatable as to whether this is a benefit or not, but they've continued to work with Amazon. And so FedEx has done almost the opposite. And they've, so they ended the relationship pretty much with the USPS on delivery. They definitely ended the relationship with Amazon. And their partnerships are, are pretty limited. I mean, they, they have you know, some big commerce and, and some others, but but they really have kind of taken a path of, of going it alone, almost. And right now, that's not working out as well for them. We'll see if that changes. It could. But I think you know, that's just an example to me of two different approaches. And right now, the collaborative approach in my opinion, is winning. I agree. And, and just, you know, whether it be aggregating volume together on a retailer side or, you know, aggregating space and saying, hey, you've got this space in the East Coast, you've got this space on the West Coast, let's figure out a way to share it each other, right? I mean, it, with with the labor constraints, with capacity constraints on the, in the real estate market, like these things aren't going away. Like we're only running out of land, unfortunately, right? And, and you know, sure, we can have more people, but we're still running out of land and we're running out of capacity. So how can you work as a brand, as a retailer to aggregate some of these things and, and really be, you know, that driving force and to focus on winning? So again, I love how you put this, you will not suffer. Um, but a little dramatic, but hey, we need, not that we need drama and, and, you know, theatrics in the supply chain logistics world. I think we can wake up, look at email and look at that and figure that out. But Anyway, what, what predictions next two years, right? You know, what does it look like in May 2024? What are we what are we looking at there? Amazon will put UPS and FedEx out of business. Now I'm just <laughs> that's not gonna happen. Uh, that's uh, I always like that's actually quieted down, I think, recently, but you know, there for a while it was Amazon's gonna take over over the world from a delivery standpoint. Obviously, whatever I'm not gonna predict anything <laughs> related to Amazon. They can 
they're going to do whatever they decide to. But kidding aside, I think, uh, you know, still with delivery, I do think we're going to see less dependence on national integrated carriers like UPS and FedEx. Doesn't mean they're going out of business, not even close. But I do think there are some you know, solutions that are you know, coming into the market, might get some traction. Like the, the point-to-point or the kind of direct inject model providers that try to eliminate touches and you know, some of it actually is, again, kind of aggregating resources. Uh, X-Delivery, Pandion, Beho, there's, there's those types of solutions. I think they, they have merit. They have to be really well executed because, again, it's, it's working with several different providers. But I do think there's an opportunity there to carve out a niche in e-commerce delivery to where it's the usually the shorter distance and it's it's point to point it's not handling packages through three different stations with you know FedEx and UPS to where it's a little bit less reliable so i think it's not some you know, step change in the market where all of a sudden there's a huge share with like that type of, of provider in that segment but i think there'll be some progress there i think one other thing I wouldn't call it a, a really firm prediction. I think there's uh, there's an opportunity for the USPS to actually more compete as a package delivery carrier. They have a huge impact on the market already, just the sheer volume that they deliver. But a lot of that impact is still being a you know final mile partner for a lot of carriers, and including Amazon. I think USPS they have a lot of work to do, maybe as much organizationally and, and and on the customer engagement side probably than than their actual service offering. But I do think that the joy is is very focused on the package business. And I think we're going to see some progress there. Now the two year horizon progress is probably about the best that I could put a prediction on. I don't conversations around it, right? Well yeah. I mean I think you know maybe we'll see a little bit more than that, but it doesn't they don't move really quickly, which is ironic, I know. But uh but I think they have the ability to to compete in the market as opposed to just being more kind of a a provider for for small business and then a partner on the final mile. I think the the other point, you know, talking about parcel delivery and you know, it's it's some of these same day providers, right? Whether it be you know the rideshare, Uber to DoorDash to GoPuff, you know. Sometimes I look at myself and, and there's a one-day delivery option or, or even if I'm shopping on Amazon, there's a two-day delivery option. I'm like, do I really need this in one or two days? Can I not wait on it? But it's there, so I'm going to go for it. And I think there is some market share to go, go towards those guys that are more of the same day, right? Yeah, I think there, there could be. That's, that's an, interesting, an interesting dynamic you know, from, from a same-day standpoint. Uh, and I, you know, I get, you know, I'll, I'll publish content on this. and. I'll be the first to say same day delivery is not my area of expertise. Now, I'm not sure that there are experts necessarily in, in the market because it's, it's still evolving and still new. But I think from, you know, a same day standpoint, and I agree, like your comment, if it's there and it either doesn't cost me anything or it's, it's a nominal cost, then it's like, well, of course, why wouldn't I? So from a consumer standpoint, yeah, it's it's like a no-brainer. But I think from a provider side, it's the biggest constraint honestly is on the retailer side and the availability of the inventory and the ability to actually fill orders and, and ship them same day. 
the delivery side, I mean, there, there's a, a ton of same day providers who have the ability to make the economics work, I think, on the delivery side. I'm not sold necessarily that it's the, the gig based uh, entirely to where it's, um, say, one or two orders per driver. But I think the biggest challenge is, is actually on the, the retailer side is the inventory availability. It's except for big box, they don't have the inventory that's available to fulfill those orders. You, maybe it's just partial. So I think that's the, the biggest limitation. But the way I like to think about it is same day delivery, unless that inventory piece is really opened up to where a lot of retailers can do it. I would say the opportunity with same day is similar to what Bopus is right now. Yeah. I wasn't trying to go down the same day delivery route, but <laughs> sometimes you just end up there. Anyway, let's let's wrap up with some quick hitters. I feel the need, the need for speed. Ow! Ow! Nate, you've been awesome. Really quick, just four four simple questions here. The last thing you bought online. Uh a I'm not even sure how to say it. I think it's Mombi, a Mombi hooded stadium blanket. So it's uh, it's M A M B E is is the company. Absolute lifesaver if, especially if you're going to be outdoors, say for a really long period of time at a sporting event uh, in Ohio. <laughs> it's it's waterproof. Uh, it, you know, it's lined, so it's supposed to be you know keep you warm too. And so that was my last purchase. So it's like a, a waterproof Snuggie? Yeah, pretty much. Awesome. Exactly. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you didn't work in the supply chain industry, what would you be doing? Um, I think it would have to be something sports related. I mean, I'm a big sports fan. Baseball is, is my sport. but uh, So I would say something maybe, um, at least right now, uh, be maybe something around sports like data analytics or a sports journalist. I do, you know, I've in the past 15 months have, uh, have written a lot of content. So that's been actually a part of, of just what I do now. So I dabbled in uh, a sports blog on Georgia football for about a week, uh, in college and, and finally decided to put that pin down and say, yeah, ah, this probably, this probably isn't for me. Yeah, well, at least you figure that out. Yeah. Anyway, uh, top three dream dinner party guests dead or alive. Ah. I'll stick with with sports, I think. Uh, and this is just from a kid growing up. I think there were some some sports icons that I I followed. And so I would say it's kind of an eclectic group here. Um, Magic Johnson, Jerry Rice, and King Griffey Jr. Uh, and so, yeah, that those are, are ones that, uh, you know, th- those are legends. And so that would probably be my three. They would they would have some stories. You would be there for hours for sure. Yeah, I would I would assume so. Yeah. All right. Last one. If folks want to reach out to you and, and uh, get to know you, talk about LPS Spin Management. What's the best way to do that? Uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, I'm I'm engaging every day on LinkedIn and, and get a lot of lot of outreach there through through my content. So I would say LinkedIn. You know, definitely uh, follow me on LinkedIn. I'm usually uh, available. My, my inbox is getting a bit backed up, but uh, that is the place. That's right. It's it's Q2 of 2022. It's RFP season, and they're all coming for you to help out, right? A little busy. A little busy. Busy's good. Well, Nate, I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Al. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Supply Chain Therapy, a podcast brought to you by Stored. Make your supply chain a competitive advantage. Go to Stored.com to learn more.